Hi, welcome to our fourth Universalist service video. My name is Ember Kelly. I use she and her pronouns, and I'm the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. It's so great to have you here. What follows are selections from our service on January 23rd, 2022. Uh, in this video, you'll hear the reading as well as the reflection, and following that, you hope you join us for a discussion where we go a little bit deeper into the service themes together. You're invited to check out these video and audio podcasts each week. We post them on our website, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, as well as your favorite podcast streaming sites. If you like what you see, we hope you'll give us a positive review. The likes, the comments, the sharing and subscribing, these help to spread forth Universalist media further. Finally, we acknowledge that in our physical space, we are located on the land of the Moon Salinape peoples. With this acknowledgement, we seek to continue the process of working to dismantle the ongoing legacies of oppression. We invite you to join us in this work as we embrace the APUU principle. Thank you again for watching. We begin with our reading. This morning is an excerpt from The Heart of Unconditional Love by Tulku Thondup. Loving kindness is the essence and nature of the whole world and of every being. To see and to experience this is to realize who we are. We can all observe that if someone is left in a quiet, undisturbed place, for example, in nature, he or she will become more peaceful. The more peaceful that a person becomes, the more joyful, wise, and helpful they will be to others. That is a clue that our human nature in its normal, undisturbed state is not violent or harmful, but loving. If we could reach and express our own loving nature, we wouldn't merely be enjoying a wonderful state. We would be opening our heart and body and the hearts and bodies of every receptive being with the energy of the joy of loving kindness. All of our expressions would become a source of illumination of peace and joy to the world. In the same way that olive oil is the essence of the olive fruit, loving kindness is the heart of human purity. So to awaken our own loving kindness and offer such a great feast to all is the true potential and meaning of every being. However, although a loving heart is our birthright, it won't necessarily shine forth suddenly unless we make an effort. It unfortunately becomes a stranger when we become submerged in our daily struggles and emotions. So we need to work hard to uncover it through meditation and mental and physical dedication. Thank you, Reverend Jill. Just a few days ago, 
I saw an Instagram post about buying Girl Scout cookies from Troop 6000 in New York City, the troop that is comprised of unhoused girls. When I went to Troop 6000's page and saw the statistics on the unhoused in New York City, it's crushing. 70,000 people in shelters, 23,000 of whom are children under age 18, and about 12,000 of those are girls. So yeah, I bought some cookies. They do have gluten-free options now. And then I cried. How is it acceptable in this country, or frankly, anywhere in the world, but let's focus on this country, to have people who don't have a place to live? to have extreme exorbitant wealth while children sleep on cots in church basements. Do you ever have those moments where you just sit and get deeply sad or completely filled with rage because the world around you seems just terrible? Or you realize that people just don't seem to care or get it? Do you wonder how did we get here? Who decided that this is how the world should look. Some people have way more than enough and others barely get by. Where did that mindset come from? And why, why does that kind of society still exist? I go on these existential benders pretty regularly. Sometimes they are debilitating and I have to just lie in bed and feel the pain of the world until I can see my way out of it. Sometimes I listen to A Love Supreme by John Coltrane in its entirety for inspiration. And other times the bender serves as a clarion call for the work I am meant to do. In all cases, I have come to realize in order to disrupt this unjust, damaging, painful system, we need big actions grounded in big ideas. And as a minister and theologian, I ask, what is our grounding force? What will help us right the ship? Now, a natural place to start, since we are in fact a religious community, is sacred texts. In the first letter of John, it says, Beloved, let us love one another because love comes from God and everyone who loves has received this new life from God and knows God. The person who does not love has not learned to know God, for God is love. This is the only mention of God being love in the entire New Testament, in a complete phrase. And for me, and James Baldwin, and probably many UUs or other folks who struggle with the word and concept of God, might be the best phrase in the whole book. The best definition of God. God is love. Love is the answer. Love is the root and the stem and the leaves. In John, it continues, Beloved, since God loved us in this way, we surely ought to love one another. No human eyes have ever seen God, yet if we love one another, God remains in union with us, and her love attains its perfection in us. So not only, according to John, is God love, but the very nature of God is dependent upon us living in unity with 
each other. The 14th century female mystic Julian of Norwich wrote in Revelations of Divine Love, from the time these things were first revealed, I had often wanted to know what was our Lord's meaning. It was more than 15 years after that I was answered in my spirit's understanding. You would know our Lord's meaning in this thing? Know it well. Love was his meaning. Who showed it to you? Love. What did it show you? Love. Why did it show you? For love. Hold on to this and you will know and understand love more and more, but you will not know or learn anything else ever. Now I know for many you use God or even Lord is not a word or concept that we are always fully comfortable with. I suppose it depends again on how you define God. I was asked a few years ago at another congregation I was serving to define God on the spot. And my quick answer was, God is a verb and it appears in our actions toward other people. So maybe that's my version of God is love. I should mention I have plenty of other definitions of God, usually involving physics, but we can have that another conversation another time. So. But in many UU communities, we often substitute the word love for God, which makes sense for us, I think, but I'd like us to consider how we define love. So of course I went to the classic work, The Art of Loving by Eric Fromm, and he has this to say about love. Love isn't something natural. Rather, it requires discipline, concentration, patience, faith, and the overcoming of narcissism. It isn't a feeling, it is a practice. Love is a decision, it is a judgment, it is a promise. If love were only a feeling, there would be no basis for the promise to love each other forever. A feeling comes and it may go. How can I judge that it will stay forever when my act does not involve judgment and decision? Love is not primarily a relationship to a specific person. It is an attitude and ordination of character which determines the relatedness of the person to the whole world as a whole, not toward one object of love. And love means to commit oneself without guarantee, to give oneself completely in the hope that our love will produce love in the loved person. Love is an act of faith, and whoever is of little faith is also of little love. And finally, he says, love is the only sane and satisfactory answer to the problem of human existence. I'm going to read that last one again. Love is the only sane and satisfactory answer to the problem of human existence. Which brings me to today's reading. When I first read the excerpt Reverend Jill read from, from Tundup, I thought, well, if only I had that much faith in humankind. But each successive time I read it, the more I want to believe it, and I actually do believe it. Especially this line, loving kindness is the heart of human purity. Isn't that a grand idea? 
Our very core, the ground of our being, is loving kindness. So Frome, Tundup, John, and Julian are all asking us to see love as our guiding principle. If love and or loving kindness become our North Star, how do we live and act differently? How can we create the world we are called to create with, as you use with love as our guide? Well, since justice is central to our UU theology, I give you this quote, which you probably have heard before from Cornell West, who famously said, justice is what love looks like in public. So loving kindness and love manifest themselves as justice. Another scholar of history and religion, Dr. Cleve Tinsley says, justice is how love manifests itself in relationship to another person. If people in any social context are not striving for equity and justice among each other, then one has a right to question that community's understanding of love. Now, I mentioned a few weeks back my love of Paulo Freire and my belief in liberation for all oppressed and the oppressors as well. I was teaching Freire last week and was reminded of a footnote that Freire included in Pedagogy of the Oppressed from one of my heroes, Che Guevara. So I'm going to share this passage by the revolutionary Che. At the risk of seeming ridiculous, let me say that the true revolutionary is guided by a great feeling of love. It is impossible to think of a genuine revolutionary lacking this quality. Perhaps it is one of the great dramas of the leader that he or she or they must combine a passionate spirit with a cold intelligence and make painful decisions without flinching. Our vanguard revolutionaries must idealize this love of the people, of the most sacred causes, and make it one and indivisible. So the love I am talking about is this revolutionary love. Now, contrary to what Tukul Tundup says, even though I love the idea that our normal, undisturbed state is not harmful or violent, but loving, we humans are not actually hardwired for kindness towards strangers. Biology shows that actually we are wired for competition as a means of ensuring the survival of our DNA. And this hardwiring shows up in how we view others in that we tend to not just agree with people who think like us, but we view them as better people. And of course, the opposite follows. People who don't think like us are, well, bad. This is how hate and bias and violence get justified. But since our brains are evolving, as are we, I hope, we no longer, no longer solely rely on our amygdala or an ancient reptilian brain to do the thinking for us. Thus, we really do have the chance to do better. We have the chance to find out if we can transform our normal state of being into one of loving. So what does this look like for all of us? Or perhaps the better question is, how can we each conceive of a concept of love, revolutionary love or divine love that will transform the world and help us be instruments of justice and peace?
I was lucky enough last month to attend a weekend workshop with the wonderful teacher, Mirabai Star. We spent two days digging deep into the writings of another female mystic, this one from the 16th century, St. Teresa of Avila. Mirabai was leading us through her spectacular translation of St. Teresa's interior castle. And I came away with a revelatory expansion of how to embody love. Now the interior castle, interior castle is quite intricate. Happy to have an RE program on it or some something some other time, but I'm going to cut to the core. According to Saint Teresa, our aspiration, our mission, our calling, our single task in life is to find, be, embody a unitive love. This unitive love is the beginning of our service. Through a unitive love, we see the falseness of duality. We have no need for supernatural experiences. We love one another because we see our essential interconnectedness. In St. Teresa's words, who uses beloved to denote God or Jesus, she says, she writes, on the spiritual path, the beloved asks only two things of us, that we love him, her, it, and that we love each other. This is all we have to strive for. In my opinion, the most reliable sign that we are following both these teachings is the, that we are loving each other. She continues, oh friends, I can clearly see how important love of your neighbor is to some of you and how others of you just don't seem to care. If only you could understand how vital this is to all of us, you wouldn't engage in any other study. A few months ago, I was listening to a podcast that was laying out all the possible ways our country and world could succumb to powerful destructive forces. In the final episode, the host said to us listeners that while this is one route, we have within us the power to change course, but it's going to take love to do it. He then shared this story of a man in Portland, Oregon in 2017, who was on a train and witnessed a white supremacist threatening two teenage girls, one of whom was black, the other was wearing a hijab. The man who sees this happening, his name is Talizin Mirdin Namkai Mecha, intervened with two other men and saved the girls from the knife of the attacker. Talizin was stabbed, and as he lay bleeding on the train car floor, a woman came to comfort him. And as he was slowly dying, I'm sorry, he said to her, tell everyone on this train I love them. Those are some beautiful final words. There will be days when the pain of the world is too great, when our sense of wanting to care will wane, when we will not know what to do. But we are called on by a fierce, justice-seeking, revolutionary, unitive love of all our neighbors. And I encourage us all to find that love through prayer, 
spiritual practice, whatever it takes so that we can love this world into what we can believe, it, what we believe it can be. May it be so. It is so wonderful to be here. I have two amazing guests joining me today. We're joined, of course, by Reverend Dr. Leonisa, who delivered our message today, our wonderful message about love on Valentine's Day, but a nice radical revolutionary message of love. But we are also joined by Ben, our intern, our field ed intern. Uh, and so we are excited to have a, a three-part discussion here as we dive into um, the depths of this uh, message. So uh, Leonisa, what, what inspired this? Like, what, where'd this come from? Well, you know, so, uh, you know, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. So when I was plotting out my, you know, services for the three months that I was going to be in this position, I was like, well, I should do a love thing around Valentine's Day. But then it was like, I don't want to talk about the common conceptions of love or even, you know, certainly not romantic love, which is a fine topic. It was just not where my head was. Um, and I was really, when I originally thought of it, I was like, I really want to talk about this notion of how we, how love can be our guiding principle for trying to do good in the world, right? And then as I started writing it and pulling together my sources, it, it took me in, well, it took me in many different directions and I just tried to steer my ship back, you know, but to the notion that it's not easy to cultivate that kind of world loving love, <laughs> but it's a thing that we need to do, right? And it's because it's revolutionary. It's the thing that um, can keep us on our path. And, and to be completely honest, I'm just remembering now is that I had a meeting with a student who was talking about these issues of things and then, and how did they, could they muddle through, right? And, and we wound ourselves, found ourselves having a conversation about God and love and religious trauma. And so, you know, that all helped me sort of put it together. And, and luckily I had, I had just started to piece things together. And after that conversation, the, the sermon just came flying out, so. I think uh, maybe, you know, obviously the three of us with our seminary experience and delivering sermon experience, uh, understand this, this image of trying to guide the sermonship until, yeah. until you've delivered a, a sermon, until you've had to write one, you don't realize that it's, uh, it's a bit more of an adventurer than, than a lot of other types of public speaking. It's true because you have to have it, you know, it, 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 there, there's formula and, and ways to do it, but you, you're, there's a message, there's a thread and it's very easy, you know, so yeah, I'll take a minute to, if you don't mind, like, I mean, there were other things I was like, oh, but I really love this idea about love and oh, I, and then, I, you know, I had to, I make, I always make a document of like the ideas that don't make the cut because they were pulling me off course. Right. So I was like, well, I got a whole other sermon in this other document, right. On other ideas and ways of thinking about love. Um, so yeah, yeah. But to, to follow your thread through a sermon, that's, that's the challenge and, and that's the impact of it. Right. Mm. Sometimes it becomes, you know, like you said, do you make it the second sermon? You might end up with a whole entirely different a uh, sermon message theme than, than you originally uh, expected when you when you jotted down the idea. Um, right, it's true. Yeah. Ben, was that was that your experience with delivering your sermon uh, a few weeks? I guess that was months ago now. It was a little while back. Yeah, that sounds very familiar, and it also is how I write every paper because, <laughs> like, you know, I 
I'm sure that both of you can relate to this, like having gone through this experience where you learn all these things that you think are really cool and like, like piques your interest and you want to talk about it all the time. And then you have to find some way to like filter out the things that sound really cool, but it would be a total, like, it would be very art. It would feel like really artificial and it'd be very like extraneous to that, to the, to the line that you're trying to follow to the internal logic of, of the sermon that you're trying to write. Right. I'm going to write to you. <laughs> so what, uh, you, you mentioned drawing on some sources. I mean, you included a, a fair amount of quotes in there. What were some of the big sources that really um, guided you in this? Yeah, in this I, I, could, I had a hard time, like, not wanting to put all the quote. This is one of my quote heaviest sermons, right? But it was like, well, someone else said it better. So I'm just going to use their words, right? But I, well, some of this was, as I had many years ago, written a piece about love, a very different angle on it. No, not very different, but different. So I had some of these writings on love sitting in like one of these files that we mentioned. And so I, I knew I wanted to get to the place where, um, uh, Cornel West, the Che Guevara, right? That, you know, but I was like, I, I want to get there, but I need to set it up first, right? And so then I was thinking, and this was also because of the conversation that I had had um, with this, this student about, you know, um, how we even define some of these terms. And that's where I went to the, some of the New Testament readings, right? So I, 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 I find it so interesting that, that it appears once, right? That God is love concept is like, once right so that's always in a list somewhere of things you should tell people about right especially people who you know <clears throat> i don't know who, who preach hate right you're like okay so it doesn't say it a lot in the book but if it says it once i think we, that's probably pretty impactful and then as you dig you see all these other related messages about god manifesting as love right whatever your definition of god is which is then i get into it so that's where i sort of start and then knowing that where you use i was like well we know that god isn't the you know easiest pill to swallow so let's keep moving here and that's where the from writings on love right because that's the classic text on that idea and then and that's where it led me then into these more I guess you could say revolutionary or radical ideas of love that love can is the the you know the impetus the ground the north star whatever you want to call it the ground of being you know to get all seminary ish on us on paul tillich or other you know things like that but also i had and i mentioned this in the sermon the final source i was like i have to bring this in because i realized i was quoting a lot of dudes and i'm not usually comfortable with that and so i needed to balance that ship and i um was at a workshop uh learned all about saint teresa de avila and um of avila and gosh the her Oh, I, I can't, that's like a whole other workshop or session about like just diving into these mystics, right? And so after that workshop, it was like two full days, like seven and a half hours, Saturday, Sunday. And I, this, her conception of love and her relationship with this divine source being already within her and that that's the love, that we already have it, but we just don't get there because we've got layers and layers of stuff blocking it. And so I was like, that's where I need to end. I need to end with that idea because, and it brings us full circle to Christianity, but a very, like a way 
you know, much more deep and I think more relatable in general and more related to what Chase says about like every revolutionary has to act from this place of love. It's not because of, you know, ire and and rage that's going to change things. It's your deep love of your people or of people or of trees or how, or all of creation. That's transformative. That's the love we need to cultivate, not the, I don't know, it, it's that's not fluffy. That's deep and impactful, right? I'm going to toss out there that, as usual, these uh, these talks inspire you and I to come up with uh, new religious education program ideas. So uh, look forward in the future to UU mysticism um, yes. <laughs> as a future yes. fourth you offering now that it's been established as an idea planted for us I, um, for, for later. Down, seed in ground, Whoop, waiting for the sprout. Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, but it is, you know, um, as someone who served some time in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was on purpose. I joined it. I, I did my, made my own choice. Yeah. Um, but I mean, gosh, the mystics are just, they are fascinating. Like they, And you know, I never, I had very limited exposure to them in the 20 odd years that I was a Catholic. And then I found them, which was interesting, right? Because all this time I'm like, where are all the women? You know, I left Catholicism because I was like, why can't women get ordained? Okay, you know, and then I go and find all these amazing writings and texts by these women who are having these profound visions and connections to either Jesus or God or this unitive love that St. Teresa comes up with, right? Like, and I was like, well, I really would have liked to have known that, you know, 30 odd years ago, right? But, you know, I'm happy I found it, you know, when I did and now it's, I deep, think it's deeply informative, but it's always interesting what gets left out of the teachings versus what, you know, um, you know, what, what makes the canon and then what becomes these sidebars, right? Because that's, yeah, I find them, them deeply, deeply interesting and, and, and powerful and yeah. It's, uh, oh. Oh, yeah, Ben. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Did you have You're something? Good. Yeah. Oh, so when I was reading through this, I found myself thinking back to Soren Kierkegaard's book, Work of love which mm -hmm. is about the the love commandment from the new testament mm -hmm. and <clears throat> he explores all the ways that the idea of you know you shall love your neighbor as yourself can be cashed out and what the practical implications are of trying to live that commandment especially in connection with the the first of of Jesus's two commandments yeah. um, to love the Lord your God with, you know. Okay. Um, so I think it's really interesting to think about how loving your your neighbor, however broadly or narrowly we're conceiving of it in the moment, because from time to time we kind of have to expand and contract to right. deal with our various responsibilities um <laughs> the idea that that affects the way that we do or at least ought to love ourselves yeah. so in that vein and i hope this isn't too heavy of a question for a sunday morning what does this idea of revolutionary love and or this notion that we're taking from saint Teresa? do 
in that whole scheme. Yeah. That's a great question, Ben. Not too heavy. You've you've heard other things that Ben and I, uh, uh, Ember and I, get into, right? Yeah, not too. Heavy. No, I I I think it's a wonderful question because I think the I think there's a lot of challenge for folks of the idea of love our neighbors as we love ourselves because we don't fully understand what it even means to care and love for ourselves, right? So if that's your starting point and you are um, succumbing to the forces of you know the pressures of society and capitalism or whatever then you we very easily can disappear in ourselves right like or, or or see ourselves only as good as what we produce or how we you know uh compare to someone else's blah 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 right whatever that is right so um i so it's it's huge and i think that there's like this trauma piece within there that we have to talk about there's this whole um feeling worthy and you know it's very you you i think a lot of like our first and third principle comes into this idea of like our worth and dignity and other people's worth and dignity and accepting of others and then that means also accepting of ourselves um because i i think if you're you i love how you put it because if that's our model like well love your love your neighbors as you love yourselves right what if the love yourself piece that's not a model right so i think that what it's calling us and i would say in the saint teresa work which is this you know, wild, um, spiral, labyrinthine, you know, path into our inner most castle, right? This interior castle, right? Is this, she says mostly through prayer, but I don't know, it could be prayer, spiritual practice, service, whatever it calls you to, to heal our own wounds of our own senses of worthiness and unworthiness, worthiness, seeing our creating the boundaries that are necessary for us to be whole and love ourselves in some real not some like i hate to say it this is going to sound really mean but like you know the uh minimized woo-woo self-care stuff i'm talking like deep holistic right like i matter right i i right and not in an i like a static solo individualistic i because that's the problem as well and so so God, I'm going all over the place here. But so I think that what happens is if we do that work and we we tap into that interiority, which, you know, in the workshop, Mirabai Star was pointing out that like it's already there. We just don't see it or know it. So because you know, for any number of reasons, right? Which I've mostly named, right? So I think part of our spiritual practice is uncovering, unpacking, un- and releasing or connecting with uh that interior love deep abiding love it could be buddha nature i mean it it transcends any religious boundary right like it's it's in there and then from there we then would see then it becomes like almost like a a a martin buber-esque thing right like i and thou right like or a non-duality right so that's where saint teresa gets to like it's like a non-dual it's a unitive right so uh, the way i love me especially if it took you a while to get there helps you maybe have those kind of empathic understandings which we've often talked about in these little one-on-ones like for other people's plights like that it's not a choice like i'm not choosing to be x y or z like i'm also have trauma i live in a system that's oppressive right like i also need to cultivate this right right does that make sense yeah yeah it's a good question though right because i think it's war like 
it just doesn't happen. I think we all like want to be okay. And it just doesn't happen. I mean, it's like we, it calls for deep spiritual practice on ourselves and in our relationship to other people. Right. Thank you. That was, <clears throat> that was amazing. And uh, I think that what you, what you said at the end there comes back really nicely to the Eric Fromm quote, because that's the, the discipline and the commitment yeah. in all of this. Right. And I, think that the piece about which how are we conceiving of the I in all of this makes a huge difference because like what it looks like to love a self who is this like Cartesian ego who like floats around and has thoughts and like buys stuff sometimes because of how we've ended up using that idea as a society uh, that's very different from thinking of myself as a me who is like ontologically social, like mm -hmm. the, the me that's like a person who lives in Manhattan and works past, walks past people who are unhoused like all the time. Like that's a different way of thinking about yourself, like intrinsically situated yeah. within responsibility. Yeah. And, yeah. So yeah, like that relational me, right? The, yes, it is, exactly. yeah. And that's, and you know, and it's, and, and, yeah, well, I could we could go on to that because there's you know that's also the the Buddhist idea of a no self, right? And we right so which is harder to grasp, and there's not enough time to do that. But like th that's that same point too is that if we are if it's a me, how you perfectly put it, that needs to be fed or 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 you know patted on the back or whatever, that's a very different than me in relation to you and me into in relation to, um, you know, we are. A community we are social beings we don't we could never possibly exist truly on our own right down to a blade of grass right like it is we are it's all interconnected so that that kind of love is like you know that's like cosmic love right like it's beyond revolutionary it's like the whole of the cosmos right is yeah yeah <laughs> alien we're gonna be in a cosmos you know coming in oh. Anyways, Ben, I have to applaud that question. It was it was much better than my temptation to you know say, please tell us more about all of your recent existential crises as that you described at the beginning of the message. Um, so yeah. I thought I thought that was a wonderful question. And I really had the same it. question. I just put it with like Kierkegaard. It was really yeah, there you go, right. You frame it with Kierkegaard, and it makes it all better, right? Yeah. And but, you know the existential question. I mean, the reason I even decided to start there. And I have another sermon that I call the pain of the world. So I just took that phrase, right? And maybe what I could share that with both of you. And um, because I think that many of us do go through life in this relational sense, right? And I don't know about any either of you, but like when I was a kid, it was always like, oh, she's so sensitive, you know, and it was like a bad thing. And I was like, because I didn't want to turn off, you know, I, you're you're forced in society to sort of create your emotional regulation so that you could exist in this world. That's like we don't have enough time for your, you know, worries or whatever or your sadness. And like, I was a deeply sensitive kid. I remain a deeply sensitive. I don't see that as a bad thing. I that's em empathy. That's empathic. It's also paying attention and it's seeing. Uh, relationships, right? Connecting dots. And so I think many of us do go on what I called in the sermon existential benders because it's like, oh my God, like wh what? Like, what are we living in? How did we get here? Why is this the way it is? And um, yeah, if you had asked me to list them, it would have taken all day. So I'm glad you didn't. But I think it's really, um, I think many of us feel that, right? And especially those of us who are um, 
don't like to see pain and suffering who, who know and know that it has root causes that are largely humans acting out of non-love right act out of love i have really appreciated this conversation it's been uh, amazing and wonderful i wish that we had unlimited time for all of these videos um, <laughs> especially today this feels like one where we could probably easily spend a whole hour of a podcast just uh sitting here and talking but so i'm i'm so thankful that uh both of you could be here with me today likewise this was great and it's true right we can you know we could just do that for fun future podcast episode future po see we're always got the ideas going future podcast future re future sermons we got it covered so we go. we're, we're always planning that's what uh, that's what ministry work is yeah. <laughs> thanks for bringing me in on the schemes this time yeah i'm glad <laughs> to have you here man it was fun to have a, a yeah it was really fun good good and thanks as always to all of our listeners see you later mm -hmm.